God, today we ask you to hear our prayers. We ask for healing. In a day where we are so connected to the world, set us apart. In a time of great unrest and uncertainty, we ask for holiness. So search our hearts, renew our minds, and help us love like you love us. Make us holy. Use us to do your will on this earth. God, today we ask that you would restore us. Gather up the bits and pieces of our souls and mend them with your loving hand. Search out those parts that we try to hide from you. Today, God, we invite you in. Our faith is in Jesus Christ. We trust you. May we be set apart for you. May we be holy. God's plan for your life is not happiness, whether you realize that or not. God's plan for your life is holiness. And if you're going to be who God designed you to be, then you've got to say yes to the right things. You've got to say no to the wrong things. That's what we're going to talk about these next three weeks. This comes from Matthew chapter 5, verse 37. Jesus is talking, and here's what he says. Say only yes if you mean yes, and no if you mean no. If you say more than yes or no, it is from the evil one. This message was at the beginning of his ministry. This is the Sermon on the Mount, one of the first things that he did publicly. And he was teaching people that you need to honor your yes and no. He said that to strengthen your yes or no with some kind of vow indicated there was something wrong with you. Not wrong with the vow, something's wrong with you if you have to strengthen it. So the way we're going to say this is extra words cannot compensate for a bad character. So yes means yes, no means no. And it's amazing to me how the Bible is still relevant today. In fact, this may be more relevant even than when Jesus spoke it. He wants us to honor our yes and no. See, he knew that the Pharisees had devised this system of, of swearing. And I'm not talking about cussing. I'm talking about swearing on the temple or swearing on the altar in the temple, swearing on different things, swearing on body parts. They had developed this system of talking that had to be deciphered to understand what they were saying. In other words, they were lawyers the religious people of the day. They said, if you make a promise and you use these words, that promise is a valid promise. But if you use a promise and you use these other words, then you don't have to keep that promise. So it's like when you were a kid, you know, and you'd cross your fingers. Anybody do that? Oh, I'm going to do this. And you cross your fingers, or you cross your arms, you cross your eyes, you cross your toes, something so that you didn't have to do what you had to say. And, and we kind of laugh at that with children, but it's not so funny when it's adults, is it? And I think Jesus was looking at these men and he's going, you're the religious leaders of our day. Heaven help us. The kingdom of God is in trouble. If you dudes are the ones leading people, because, because he, he said that, that, um, religion was so messed up that religious people were actually leading people to hell instead of heaven. That's why God had to send Jesus, because religion was so messed up. And see, we don't understand this whole idea of swearing, you know, based on a temple or an altar or whatever. So I want to read to you the message translation of this. It updates the words so that you can understand it a little bit better. It brings it into our language. This is Matthew 23, verses 15 through 20. 
You're hopeless. By the way, this is Jesus and he's talking to religious leaders and I, pay attention to his tone, uh, whether he's serious about this or not. He says, you're hopeless, you religion scholars and Pharisees, exclamation point, frauds. You go halfway around the world to make a convert, but once you get him, you make him into a replica of yourselves, double damned. All right, time out. Some of you just went, now we're, this isn't a cuss word because what Jesus says in the original language, he says, you make him twice as much a son of hell. When you make a convert, he's talking to the religious leaders and, and what the idea was to be damned to hell. That's not a cuss word to be damned to hell. That's where they were going. And so this is not only are you going to hell, he's saying to these people, but you're, you're, you're relegating other people to be damned to hell. And he says, that's unacceptable. He says, you're hopeless. What arrogant stupidity. Does he leave any, any room for questioning what he feels about this? You say, if someone makes a promise with his fingers crossed, well, that's nothing. But if he swears with his hand on the Bible, that's serious. What ignorance. Does the leader, does the leather on the Bible carry more weight than the skin on your hands? What about this piece of trivia? If you shake hands on a promise, that's nothing. But if you raise your hand that God is your witness, that's serious. What ridiculous hair splitting. What difference does it make whether you shake hands or raise hands? A promise is a promise. What difference does it make if you make your promise inside or outside a house of worship? A promise is a promise. God is present watching and holding you account regardless of where you are when you make your promise. So he's saying if you're a true Christ follower, when you say yes, mean it. When you say no, mean it. Let your yes be yes and your no, no. So here's, here's what I want you to realize. The right yes, if you say the right yes, it's going to lead you to success in God's kingdom. If you say the wrong yes, it's going to lead you to a big fat mess in your life. Now, has anyone here ever said the wrong yes? Let me see your hands. Anyone said the wrong yes? We could spend a lot of time about this. Now, if you were to go to talk to somebody, you'd say, you know, they've got a problem, whether it's a bad financial decision or just a horrible relationship, and you say, what happened? They're probably not going to say, well, you know, just this one little bitty yes. One time I said yes, and it led me down to the pit of despair. No, if you say what happened, they're probably going to say, well, you know, it was actually a series of little yeses. I said yes to this. I said yes here, yes there, yes everywhere, yes, yes. Those little bitty yeses get you off the path, and before long, you're in full-blown rebellion because of a bunch of little bitty yeses. Now, the other side of that is if I say yes to God, God's going to going to show me his principles. He's going to show me his purpose. He's going to lead me to the right people and I'm going to have meaning in my life. But if I say no to God, I'm going to go down the wrong path. I'm going to meet the wrong people and I am totally going to miss what God has for my life. The right yes leads me to success. The wrong yes leads me to a big fat mess. Now here's what I want you to see about Jesus or about what God says about his yes. This is, this is awesome. Since second Corinthians one twenty. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. Let's just stop right there. God's saying, look, if I'm willing to give up my only son to prove to you how much I love you, to prove to you that I'm a man of my word, to prove to you that I keep my promises, I will do that. And he says, if I don't go back on that promise, do you think I'm going to go back on any other promise? No is the answer to that. The verse continues. Through Christ, our amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now, what does amen mean? Amen literally means, so let it be. Or it's a big fat yes, so let it be. So you hear somebody in a church say amen, they're saying yes, so let it be. When you say amen to a prayer, so let it be. You're saying yes. And and uh, here's what I want you to realize. That no other world religion has this to offer you. 
God says, no matter what you're going through, you can trust my promises because of that cross that I drove in the ground. The cross is this big, fat stake in the ground where God says, I love you this much. And if I'm willing to sacrifice my son, is there a chance in heaven or hell that I will not fulfill the other promises? The answer is no. Our, our amen, our yes is in Jesus Christ. So no matter what you're going through, you look at the promises of God. He's going to fulfill that. He did it in Jesus. He's going to fulfill these other promises. Jesus was the yes. So in our culture, though, we've perfected the the yes or the empty yes. The yes until something better comes along. The yes and, and as long as it's convenient. Um, yes means maybe. And Jesus said, not only is that wrong, it's evil. It's really, really quiet in here. Okay, so this week we're going to look at what you need to say yes to. Next week we're going to look at what you need to say no to. What do you need to say yes to? First thing is a new heart. How many of you went to school to learn how to do something wrong? I mean, you were you were a perfect saint. You never did anything wrong until you got into public school, right? Now, public school may have made you more wrong, but you were already capable of doing wrong, right? Correct. We come out of our mother's womb knowing how to do wrong. That's the point I'm trying to make. But as we grow up, as we mature, somewhere, sometime we look around and we go, you know, there's got to be more to life than this. And we start to question, is there a God? And and in fact, 90% of Americans believe there is a God. They just don't know what he's like. 90% of Americans believe there's a higher power. They just don't know the higher power's name is Jesus. And then when stuff goes wrong, they get mad at Jesus. They get mad at God, this higher power. But the problem isn't with God. The problem is with us. Because see, every one of us, every person who's born develops this disease called hard-heartedness. And you know how we develop this disease? By saying no to God. The first time you say no to God, it's like you wrap a little layer around your heart. Nope, God, not going to do what you tell me to do. Second time you say no to God, you wrap another layer around your heart. Third time you wrap another layer around your heart. Fourth time you wrap another layer around your heart. Person who ends up saying no to God for a lifetime has a heart encased by steel. Now let me tell you two things that happen to a person who has a heart like this. First thing is they cannot hear God. It's impossible. And this person will eventually say, I don't need God. I don't need what God has to offer. It is impossible for this person to hear the voice of God. First thing is you're not sensitive to the things of God when you have a hard heart. Second thing is you're not sensitive to other people. True fellowship, true love is impossible for hard-hearted people. And, and you see, when Jesus was asked by a lawyer, what's the greatest command? He said, love God and love people. Isn't it interesting when we say no to God, the two things that happen to us is we say no to God, we say no to people, we don't love God, we don't love people because we have a hard heart. And, and people that, are, that do this for a lifetime, it's really hard to be around them. So if, if all of us have this terminal disease, what's the solution? Well, God tells us in Ezekiel 34. He says, for I will gather you up from all the nations and bring you home again to your land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. Your filth will be washed away and you will no longer worship idols. I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. God's people had said no to him so many times that their hearts were hardened. And the Bible calls this attitude sin. Now, what's the middle letter of of that word? I trouble. 
I want to be in charge. I don't want God telling me what to do. I don't want you telling me what to do. I want to be in charge. And so I'm going to say no to God. And it starts me on this path to hard heartedness. And, and Romans six twenty three says for the wages of sin, the wages of hard heartedness is death. We're all going to die because of this. Fortunately, God has a cure. The cure is 100% effective. Um, and it lasts forever, but it's also very, very painful. You know what it is? It's heart surgery. God says, I'm going to remove this heart and I'm going to give you a tender, responsive heart. And I'm going to fill you with my spirit and give you the, the ability to discern things spiritually. And, and see, here's the thing. Self-help books aren't going to help you get into the kingdom of God because I've never heard of anybody ripping open their own chest and doing their own heart transplant. If you, I asked John uh, Colander in the earlier service if he's ever heard that. You ever heard that? No. You need someone else to do heart surgery. You need God to do heart surgery if you're going to become the person that he created you to be. And see, here's the thing you got to realize about your heart. Just trying better isn't enough. Look what Jeremiah 17, 9 says. It says, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond what? There is no cure. There's no medicine. There's no exercise you can do that will make this heart into this heart. You have to have this one removed and you have to have this one placed in if you want to be the child of God. And see, God says, Jesus said that his kingdom is not of this world. So you don't get to take this heart into his kingdom. The only people that get into his kingdom are the ones who have this heart. The only ones who said, God, I, my heart is desperately wicked. Who can understand it? I need you to replace it with your heart. When he does that, he adopts you into his family. So the very first thing you need to do to become the person God wants you to be is say yes to a new heart. Second thing is say yes to God's kingdom. Yes to God's kingdom. All right, what does that mean? Look at Matthew 6.33, again in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. So say yes to the kingdom of God. Say yes to obeying the Bible and God will give you everything you need. The blessings of God flow only to obedient people. Obedience, then blessing. People want God to bless them while they're disobedient. He doesn't do that. He's not in that business. Obedience first. I say yes to making God the number one priority in my life. I say yes to being part of his kingdom and obeying him. Then God promises to be supernaturally involved in my life. If you aren't seeing God meet your needs, not greed, your needs on a regular basis, could it be that this is the condition of your heart? Could it be that, that you say no far more than you say yes to him? I'm just saying, is it a possibility? Could it be that your series of no's have caused God to remove his hand from you and allow you to suffer the consequences of your actions? Because see, God's not obligated to, to do anything for people who disobey him. So you say yes to God's kingdom. Now, yes to God's kingdom includes some things. Yes to God's kingdom includes going to church. If you take the word church in the New Testament, if you come to our one-on-one class, I talk about this. The word church in the New Testament actually applies 90% of the time. He's talking about a local body of believers. There's no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian in the New Testament. You're supposed to be attached to a local body of believers. So 90% of the time it's talking about that. And, and see, guys, if you get married, if you come to an altar and you get married and you say, I do, and then you leave your bride and never hang out with your bride again, do you have a good marriage? No, mama ain't happy and nobody's happy if mama ain't happy. You hang out with the bride. Thank you for that, Travis. You hang out with the bride. You're about the bride. If you never are at church, it says you have a heart problem. 
I'm not saying you, you, you have to be here every time the doors are open, but if the pattern of your life is not regularly being in church, you have a heart issue. Get mad at him. Don't get mad at me. He said it. Second thing you say yes to is small groups. If we were shockingly honest today, if we had time to go around, every one of you would say, I want somebody to know me and love me just like I am. Now, that could be your spouse, but you also want friends. Every one of us here wants at least one friend. We would like to have a bunch of friends, right? If we were really honest, we'd say, we want somebody to know us. We want to know somebody else. That's just who we are. Well, news flash. You can't know somebody coming to church once a week, 11 o'clock or 9.30 on a Sunday morning and sitting in a pew. You can worship in a crowd, but you cannot fellowship in a crowd. The only way you get to know somebody is to spend time with people. And, and I love you and I want you to be here every Sunday, but this is not fellowship. This is worship, right? And if you don't have friends, look in the mirror because you're the issue. Right? I mean, people aren't looking for a friendly church. They're looking for friends. But if you're not hanging out, if you're not coming to small group, if you're not connecting, we have, we have a women's Bible study. We have a men's Bible study. We have a men's prayer time. We got small groups kicking off tonight. If you don't have friends, it's because you don't want them. So don't be blaming the church and don't be blaming the kingdom of God, the fact that you don't have friends. Janie's mom told her all the time when she went to college, and this is relevant because Rachel just went to college, just dropped her off Friday. And, and, Janie's mom said, you got to be a friend because Janie's very quiet. She's very shy. She could have hung out in her dorm room all the time. But her mom said, you go do stuff. And she did. And she made connections. She made lifelong friends because she got outside of her comfort zone. That's what you have to do as well. So yes to God's, yes to going to church, yes to small groups, yes to tithing. People get funny when I start talking about money. People start squirming. Well, the reason we do a membership class at our church is because that tells us who we can count on. And in our membership class, we tell you that we believe the Bible teaches tithing. It's real evident. You ought to be given something to the kingdom of God. If you go to a restaurant and you're fed and you walk the check, what happens to you? You get in trouble. People walk the check here every week. And, and I'm not saying that, that I'm, I don't even know. If you're walking the chicken out, but if you're being fed, the Bible says that you're supposed to contribute where you're being fed. We have people here who do, who don't just tithe. They give over and above the tithe, tithe, tithe. Um, six years ago, 2010, we did this series. You hear me talk about this every week. We have the baskets at the back and one of them is the bagel basket. Well, we did a series called building a great life. We'd gone through financial peace university and we, we were convicted. I was convicted that we were doing this financial peace thing in our home, but we weren't doing it in our church. And, and I felt like God said to me, you need to do in the church what you're doing at home. So we decided to become debt free. So I did this eight week series and, and I was going to challenge people to give. Now what had happened in the meantime, we had bought this building and this house and we had 2.1 acres and from the beginning, we didn't have enough parking. And so we started praying that God would give us more parking. One day, Caleb and I were mowing and the lady that lived in the blue house just down the hill over there on the other side of this house, she walks over and says, Hey, do you want to buy my land? I said, yes, ma'am, we do. And so we started talking, we agreed on a price. And, and I said, here's the deal. We don't have any money. But we want to buy your, and so I said, if you'll give us some time. So she was going to give us as much time as needs. She wasn't going to put it on the market. She said, you do whatever you need to do. Pray about it. Come up with your money. So I said, all right, on this certain day, I'm going to challenge the church that we need to come up. It was $45,000. I said, I'm going to challenge the church to do that. What happened in the meantime, a family came to me and they said, hey, 
we want to give the church or loan the church this money to buy this land because we don't want to jack with that. We want to loan the church. It'll be interest-free. Whenever you get a chance, you start paying back. And I said, well, we're going to do this one-day offering, so we're going to pray. Anyway, so we, we did this whole series, and we were challenging people not only to give on that one day, but we were challenging them to give over and above the tithe for the next three years, a three-year yes, so that we could get out of debt. So on that day, we take up the offering. We raised $41,000 that one day to, to try to purchase this land, to pay off this interest-free loan. Well, the family was sitting right over here. Never forget this. Family was sitting right over here. The day I did that last sermon, the day we did the, the people walked forward and gave their commitment cards, and we did the offering, and we counted the offering. The family calls me over after everybody else is gone and said, hey, God just told me I'm not supposed to give this as a loan. This is supposed to be the church's. So in that instant, we went from 41000 to ninety. $96,000 came in on one day and we went, Oh wow. God is awesome. Right. And then uh, a couple years ago, the land back here came for sale. You know, some of y'all know this story, um, 38 acres and it was $69,000 and we started adding up what we'd been saving and we'd had a, had an emergency fund and we have a savings account and we kept, we kept making our payments, our, our $2,177 a month mortgage payments. And so we had about, when we d- took all this together, we had $50,000 cash. And so I just came to the church and I said, we need $20,000 if we're going to buy this land. We believe God wants to give us this land. So we, we, I talked and prayed and and we did a one day offering, counted up the offering that day. And it was like 17,600. And I was kind of disappointed by the next day at noon, when I went to the post office box, I got all of the checks that were in there that came in for this $20,700. We went down to Michael Deere's office. It's the shortest time I've ever been in a lawyer's office. We signed a I think it was one piece of paper, if I'm remembering right. The board goes down there. We walk and we said, hi, Mike, shook hands. He said, here's the piece of paper. I said, one piece of paper? Because if you've ever bought a house, you know you sign papers till Jesus comes, right? You don't even know. You're just, and and first time we did that, my realtor was a church friend and and he's going, it's okay, it's okay. I'm going, dude, I'm hoping so because I don't know. My firstborn, you know, I don't know what I'm signing here. We walk in the lawyer's office. We sign one piece of paper and he goes, you're done. And I said, what? He said, when you pay cash, you don't have to spend a lot of time with me. I said, no offense, but dude, I'd like to do this every time. I don't want to hang out here. Walked out and I said, we own 38 acres of land. And God's doing some crazy stuff. So since that time, we've been raising money to to pay for a parking lot. And we're going to pay cash for that. And the Bible says that you're supposed to um, count the cost of a project before you get in a project. Because when you get in a project, if you don't have enough money to finish that project, people will call you a fool. Well, we started, you've seen out here, we're starting, we're going to have our concrete poured a week from Tuesday. It's going to be 86 feet long. It's going to be 16 feet over there. There's going to be a a retaining wall here at the back. There's going to be stairs that come up in the next few weeks. The asphalt's going to come. We're going to have asphalt from the front of the house all the way down here. And then back uh, uh, from here, it's actually going to be back over 200 feet. And we're going to have over a hundred parking spaces back here. We have the cash to pay for that and a little extra and, and we're just going, wow, God is awesome. When we do things his way, he provides. It couldn't be done. Some of you are benefiting from this church. People 10, 14, 15 years ago started giving so that you would have a place to sit. 
Some of you have come to Christ in this church. Some, many of you have been baptized in this church because people 15 years ago said, I don't even know if I'm, in fact, I did a, I did a funeral just a, a week ago yesterday for a man who gave so much money to this church because he believed in the cause. Some of you are in the kingdom because men like him who couldn't even come the last few years because he was in a, in a nursing home in Gulfport, Mississippi. He gave thousands and thousands of dollars and he personally didn't benefit until he walked to see his savior. And I think the savior said, good job. I want to be like that. So you say yes to, to God's kingdom. You say yes to church, yes to small groups, yes to tithing, yes to serving. Yes to God's kingdom includes serving. And, and let me just say this. You can't serve effectively if you're not worshiping. Part of the reason we started a, a second worship service was so that we could grow in this service. But we also are asking the, anybody who's a worker to come to the early service. And some of you do. And some of you have, Casey and Cody are here every time they're working. They're in the early service. And, and people have said it ministers them because the CDs are nice. We make a CD every week of the sermon and, and the music. And they said, that's nice. But it's something about being together with other people pumps you up. Well, God, Jesus said this. When he was tempted by Satan, he, Satan said, bow down and worship me. Jesus said these words, and I believe it was intentional because everything that came out of his mouth was intentional. He said to Satan, worship the Lord and serve him only. I believe it's in that order. The reason some of you get burned out when you're trying to serve in the church is because you're trying to serve in the church. You're not worshiping first. You worship, God fills you up, and you go serve on the overflow. God gives you his Holy Spirit and he equips you with a spiritual gift. He equips you with, with the ability to love people. Can I tell you that sometimes church people aren't very lovable? And neither are your children sometimes. I'm just saying. Every week I pray that, that when the children's workers show up, this is what I pray for you if, you're, if you work in the back, that you will love God and you will show children, even especially the rowdy kids, that you'll show them the love of Christ. Because I want them to walk throughout their life and saying. They may not even understand anything about theology, but they understand I was loved when I was at that church. That's what a church is about. So you need to serve and and don't give me, I'm sorry, don't, don't even let me hear it. If you say, well, I just can't make it to the 930 service on days that I'm working. Now my wife is going to slap me when she hears me say this, but I just assume you not work at all. Because you got issues. If you can't even get here to worship the Lord before you go and love on children, I'd rather you not serve at all. Because I don't want your poison back there. We can't afford that. We'll just suck it up and more of us will do more Sundays. That's what Janie does. When somebody quits... Janie, she, she starts praying. She says, okay, Lord, I got to do this. I got to do this. I got to do this. If you say yes, one time, I'm getting all of One time, um, I was sick as a dog on Sunday morning. And, uh, and I'm not, I, this whole thing, I studied this passage to say yes, let your yes be yes and your no, no, back when I was 25 years old. And it rocked my world because a lot of people, a lot of my friends, even in the church, people would say, well, I promise. And if somebody said, I promise, you better do it. And I read this and I went, dude, I need to be, my, my dad was a guy, he said he was going to do it, he's going to do it. Now, he might not do it on your time frame, but he's going to get it done. As most men, right? All right. 
I wanted to be that guy. And so when, when I, when I get up and I'm going to preach, I'm not, I'm not going to call Casey on a Sunday morning and go, Hey buddy, uh, I don't feel good. My tummy's hurting. Can you fill in for me? So I actually walked up here with a trash can cause I thought I was going to hurl. And I said, Hey, this would be the most memorable service ever if I hurl and pass out, but I'm, I'm going to try to get through this. And, and I made through. So I tell you that because a few weeks later, this guy who was filling in for our youth minister calls me at five o'clock on a Wednesday night. And he was going to teach at our six o'clock youth service. And he, and he said, I'm not kidding you. He goes, my tummy hurts. I said, what do you want me to do about it? He said, well, I don't think I can come teach the kids. I said, I said, you need to get your butt up here and teach the kids. Well, I don't feel good. I said, dude, I took a bucket on stage. I got buckets. I'll sit next to you with a bucket. Get up here and do what you said you're going to do. Now, that may be overkill. All right, I get it. But if I tell you I want to do something, I want to do it. I want to be a guy who has integrity. Let your yes be yes. Let your no, no. All right, last thing. We'll finish this up. You say yes to God's kingdom. You say yes to a new heart. You say yes to people who matter. <sighs> Guys, we are, we are designated by God as the spiritual leader in the home. We, we don't have a choice. The, the word husband actually comes from two words, house and band, and it means that the husband is supposed to be the, the one who causes the house to stick together. And so we've got to say yes to number one person in your life when you get married. The number one person, according to God, the number one physical person, is your spouse. It's not your kids. Satan will try to use your kids to divide you. It's not your job. You, you say yes to your spouse. You say yes to, to date nights. You say yes to romance. You say yes to meaningful conversation. You say yes to non-sexual touch. I was married 10 years before I realized there was such a thing. Yeah, you still remember, you still quote some of that stuff. Um, you say yes to doing special things for your spouse. And I, ha- I have guys say, man, it costs too much money to go on a date night. It, it's too much energy, too much effort. You big baby. And they say, I can't afford to do it. I'm just going to tell you, you can't afford not to do it. Cause here's what's going to happen. You don't date and romance and do nice things for your spouse. I'm just going to make a prediction. You're going to commit adultery because you're going to find somebody else. And, and the strange thing is you're going to spend money and time and energy on somebody you're not married to. And then you're eventually going to get a divorce and you're going to spend an unbelievable amount of time and energy on a woman you no longer even want to be with. That just seems stupid to me. Maybe not to you. See, you'll be messed up. Your spouse will be messed up. Your kids will be messed up. And I'm not saying that divorce is an unpardonable sin. No, that's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying there's consequences to your action. Let's say that that I decide today that I want to go and get in my car and I drive down and and I rob a convenience store. I know how to do it. I can just go rob a convenience store. What's going to happen to me? I'm going to be arrested because there ain't that many bald dudes that look like me running around here. And there's surveillance cameras everywhere. So I get arrested. I go to jail. And in jail, I fall on my knees and I say, oh, dear God, please forgive me. It was so dumb. 
I made a bad choice. Forgive me, God, for sinning and robbing a convenience store. Is God going to forgive me? Yes. Is he going to open the gate and let me walk out? No. Somebody last year said, said to me when I got arrested for taking my gun accidentally into the, the airport, right? So I go to the, I get arrested on the way to the, to Haiti and all that stuff. And, uh, and I'm praying and I'm singing, you know, and somebody said, how come Paul and Silas, when they were arrested, God opened the gate, there was an earthquake and they got to walk out free. And I said, it's real simple. They were innocent. I was guilty. I took a gun where you can't take a gun. It wasn't intentional and the charges were dropped. Praise God. But here's the point. God's not going to wipe out the consequences of your stupid nose. You got to say the right yes. And God's given us some clear indications of what those are. So guys say yes to your current spouse. If you're going to have an affair, have an affair with your current spouse. It's, it's a lot cheaper. It's a lot easier. It's the best thing you can do for your kids is have an affair with your spouse. Let them see you love their, their mom or their dad. And ladies, let me talk to, to you for just a second. Guys, a male ego is the most fragile thing on the planet. It's not even close. And we may act like we're tough. I just got to tell you something, ladies. If your guy's world is falling apart, and you do not support him with your words and with your actions, your guy is going to struggle with a reason to live. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying anything about suicide. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that, that his one option who's supposed to be faithful, if you don't verbally affirm him, and I, you don't have to lie because some of you are like, I'm not going to lie to him. There's something he's doing well. Right? I'm not telling you you're supposed to lie. But here's what I'm going to tell you. You find something your husband does well and you tell him, and I guarantee you this will happen. He'll do it again. Because he wants you to notice. You don't nag a dude into doing stuff. He was waiting. He was there in the early service. He's waiting for that. I'm serious. You don't nag a man into doing what you want him to do. You encourage him what he's good at and he'll start, he'll start becoming a better man because a man does not believe you love him if you disrespect him. You tell me, my wife tells me she loves me and then she disrespects me. I will say to her, I don't believe you. You understand where I'm coming from? Men, we're supposed to love our wives like Christ loved the church, which means sacrifice for her. Do you know the Bible never tells women to love their husbands? It tells women to respect. Read, read Ephesians 5, 21 through 31. It says, wives respect your husbands because men equate love and respect. Now, I don't have time to go into this other stuff. I was going to talk a lot about sex today, but you'll just have to wait on that. <clears throat> and, and honestly, I say that jokingly, but I, don't, but I also say it seriously because the reason people are messed up about sex today we're not talking about it in our homes. We're not talking about it in the church. God invented it. You do sex the way God tells you to do sex, he will bless your life. You do sex the way God says not to, no blessing. In fact, there'll be cursings. Not from God, but he'll allow you to suffer the consequences. Let me just say this and we're done. If you're single, 
say yes to, to finding a spouse God's way. Let me just wait in because I hadn't ticked anybody off in a long time. At least seven days. Moving in together before you're married, that's not God's way. Having sex before you're married, that's not a popular thing to wait. But several weeks ago, I was talking about it. You know, when I went to my reunion in Borger, Texas, whenever I've gone to Borger, I didn't have sex with anybody. So when I run into parents, when I run into to people that I went to school with, when I get to meet their spouse, when I meet their children, I didn't have sex with anybody there. And so it's not awkward. Friend of mine, great friend of mine. We were sitting in church one day. We were both on staff at this church. And he goes, oh, crud. And I said, what? It's not funny. He goes, her husband hates me. Her husband hates me. And I said, what? He said, I had sex with all that. And I'm like, idiot. I mean, that, that was my thought. Do stuff God's way. You get God's blessing. We're going we're gonna to go into a series, uh, after we finish this, we're going to go into the series called Destinations, talking about the principle of the path. I just feel like I'm supposed to come back to that. And, and, and I want you to understand that, that you are headed, the path you're on has a destination. If you don't like the destination, get your butt off that path. Now! Bow your heads for a moment. Father... The real problem is we've got hard hearts and we don't want to do what you tell us to do and, and we're defiant and we're disobedient and, and then we get mad at you and, and we're just like petulant little children pitching a fit. God, I pray that somebody today would be convicted that, that their own choices have resulted in where they are and that they'll come to you and say that their heart is desperately wicked. It's deceitful. They don't understand it and they need a new heart. And if they're in your kingdom, they'll pray and ask for forgiveness for the sins that they've committed against you and your kingdom. Now, with your head bowed, I want you to ask God, what am I supposed to say yes to? God didn't bring you here by accident. You're supposed to say yes to something. And let me give you what we went through. Some of you need to say yes to a new heart. Some of you need to say yes to God's kingdom, which includes going to church regularly, small groups, tithing, serving. Some of you need to say yes to people who matter. Which one is it? God, God called you here to hear a message. What is it? Now tell God what you're going to do. Are you going to say yes? You're going to say no. Father, change our church, change our, our city, change our county. Because we say yes to you. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.